So I expect that most of us, at some point in our lives, have felt vengeful. You know, that feeling where you want to get someone back. Uh, perhaps there was someone at school who kept bullying you. Uh, maybe you had a relationship that went sour, someone abused your trust uh, and hurt you. It could be that you had a boss who was always out to get you. Uh, you may have lost your job because of him or her. Uh, any of those situations could make us feel that we want to get even, pay them back, teach them a lesson. And we might feel justified in doing so. We might think it's only fair. They'd just be getting what they deserve. If you can think of an example like that, and I expect most of us can, the chances are you didn't take revenge. I mean, you may have done, uh, but probably not. Uh, but is that because you thought better of it or because you didn't get the opportunity? If an opportunity had arisen to get that person back, if it was handed to you on a plate, if there was no chance of getting into trouble, you didn't have to break the law, there was no chance of retaliation from them, if you had been given an opportunity like that, would you have taken it? I won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Revenge. The Bible has quite a lot to say about it. Uh, Romans 12, 17 to 18 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In today's passage and throughout chapters 21 to 26, we see David living this out. He would not repay evil for evil. Uh, so let's begin by recapping the story so far. So the uh, elders of Israel, they approached Samuel and demanded a king, which was tantamount to a rejection of God because God uh, was their king. Nevertheless, God listened to them and gave them Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Saul got off to quite a good start, but it wasn't very long before he disobeyed God, and so God rejected him as king. Uh, subsequently, David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And he gained hero status by slaying Goliath, and he won victory after victory against the Philistines. Uh, last week, we saw that David became insanely jealous of uh, David. Uh, sorry, that Saul became insanely jealous of David and repeatedly tried to kill him. So David uh, went into hiding. Uh, we then have chapters uh, six chapters that are all about Saul's relentless pursuit of David. He's determined to find him and kill him, which is what we're looking at today. Now, you may at some point have felt that uh, someone had it in for you, uh, but probably nothing on this scale. Saul tried to run David through with a spear. He used his daughters to try to manipulate David uh, he gave orders for David's arrest. He gave orders for David's assassination. He assembled 3,000 elite troops to hunt David down. Uh, Saul's main purpose in life was to destroy David. Never mind the rest of the things that he was supposed to be doing as king. He was completely tunnel-visioned and focused on David. Uh, just to give you an example of how crazy Saul had become, in chapter 21, uh, there's an occasion where David and his men are helped by a priest called uh, Ahimelech. 
And when Saul found out, he massacred 85 priests, including Ahimelech, together with the entire population of uh, the town where they ministered, men, women, and children, massacred them all. Saul had completely lost the plot. But in these chapters, there are two occasions when David uh, clearly has the upper hand. Uh, Chapter 24, um, Saul, unbeknown to him, wanders into what is effectively David's camp. He's hiding in a cave with his men, and Saul goes in there. And then in chapter 26, David manages to sneak into Saul's camp. So chapter 24, David and his men are hiding in a cave. Saul goes into the cave on his own to relieve himself. And of course, David's men see this as a golden opportunity to kill Saul. But David doesn't do that. Instead, he sneaks up to Saul and he cuts off a piece of material from his royal robe. And when Saul left the cave and retired to a safe distance, David emerged from the cave and reaches out to Saul. He says, I could have killed you. I didn't. Here's the evidence. And he holds up the piece of Saul's cloak that he's cut off. In fact, in uh, chapter 24, verse 10, he says, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. He goes on to say, may the Lord, Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. You see, David trusts God to deal with Saul justly in accordance with the wrongs that he's done to him. Now, one of the reasons that we uh, human beings can be vengeful is that we want to see justice done. If someone is blatantly evil, we don't want them to get away with it. When you hear about some horrendous crime on the news perpetrated against an innocent victim, uh, you want the culprit to be caught, to stand trial, and to face justice. Now, if you accept an atheistic worldview, you must also accept that some people, many people, will get away with the most appalling evil. They just simply will never be caught. And it's that thought of them getting away with it even something less serious, especially when it's uh, against us, that can drive us to be vengeful. There are other factors as well, but that's a key one. When someone treats us badly, if nothing happens to them as a result, and it may well not, especially if they haven't broken the law, then that can make us want to take matters into our own hands. However, as Christians, we believe that everyone will stand before God and be accountable for his or her actions. So we don't need to concern ourselves over whether justice will or will not be done. It will be. Uh, That doesn't mean that we don't need a criminal justice system, but it does mean that we don't need to exact revenge as a means of obtaining justice. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, we hear God say this uh, about evildoers. It is mine to avenge. I will repay In due time, their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. David knows that he's going to be king. He knows that Saul is an unworthy king, but he also trusts God. God is a just judge who will deal with Saul at the appointed time. 
So when Saul realizes what's happened and hears David's entreaty, he seems to repent. He even makes a a public acknowledgement that David will one day be king. In fact, on this particular occasion, the last thing he says to David is this. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. In the ancient Near East, when someone came to power, their first job was to annihilate, to wipe out anyone who had any sort of a claim to the throne, no matter how tenuous. That was standard practice. But if you read all of uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll see that David did the very opposite. He sought out a member of Saul's family just so that he could bless him. Anyway, that was the first occasion when David spared Saul's life in that cave. Uh, we, we, um, and even though Saul seemed to repent, he soon went back to his old ways. So in chapter 26, we have a second instance of Saul, or rather David, sparing Saul's life. Um, that's the one we've read about today. David took his nephew Abishai and snuck into Saul's camp. Saul was sleeping in the middle of the camp. He was surrounded by 3,000 soldiers. He looked to be invincible, but God was with David. And that is emphasized in verse 12, where it makes the point that God had caused Saul's army to fall into this very deep sleep. But you notice how vulnerable Saul was on both of these occasions when David was literally right next to him. On the first occasion, he was on the toilet, and the word that's used unmistakably means number two. And the, uh, just a bit of extra information. And the second time, he was fast asleep. You know, when you catch an enemy in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, it's very tempting to get them back, isn't it? When I was a child, I built this really cool tree house in the woods. And some kids from down the road, they found it and destroyed it. We had a kind of running feud with the kids at the end of the road. Anyway, a short time later, we discovered that they were going to be camping out in their garden. They built this this camp, this den in their garden to sleep in. Uh, So me and a friend uh, snuck out at night. We crept into their garden. They weren't surrounded by 3,000 soldiers, but their stepdad was a Neanderthal of a man, so it wasn't without its risks. And uh, we got right up to their camp, and we realized that they were fast asleep. I don't know what kind of kids they were. It wasn't even midnight, and they were asleep. But anyway, (laughs) just off to one side was the garden hose uh, plugged in and ready to go. The Lord had delivered them into our hands. (laughs) Not, Not quite, but that's how it felt. But of course, we thought better of it and walked away. No, we didn't do that. We fed the hose into the camp, and we turned it on full blast, and we soaked a lot of them. And as we were running away, laughing our heads off, we could hear them shouting, Tim, Tim, which was the name of their stepdad, that Neanderthal. So we ran a bit, uh, a bit faster. But the point is, when someone's done wrong and we, to, to us, and we find ourselves in a position of power over them, the temptation to take revenge is almost irresistible. So David and Abishai were stood over Saul, and Abishai wants to kill him. Verse 8, Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust on the, of the spear. I won't strike him twice. In other words, I'll get him first go. 
when they were in the cave, David's men saw the situation as a God-given opportunity to do away with Saul. And here we see Abishai with exactly the same perspective. Well, there can be no doubt that this was a God-given opportunity. The question is, what was it an opportunity to do? David doesn't see this as an opportunity to kill Saul. He sees a very different kind of opportunity. He won't allow Abishai uh, to kill him. Instead, they sneak off with the spear and the water jug that were right by Saul's head. Imagine there's someone in the workplace who is always out to get you. You might not have to imagine. You may have experienced this. They try to trip you up, make you look bad, ruin your prospects, uh, get you fired. And then one day, they make a mistake. And you're the only person who has spotted this mistake. They don't even realize they've made it. And if this mistake is discovered, they'll be fired. There's no doubt about it. It's that serious. What do you do? Do you say, thank you, Lord, justice at last, and go and report their mistake? And if you're really sneaky, you do it anonymously. Do you seize the opportunity to bring them down, to take them down a peg or two? Or do you see a different kind of opportunity? Do you see an opportunity for reconciliation? Do you see the opportunity to make, to uh, show this person who has made you their enemy that they could, in fact, have you as their friend? Do you go up to them on the quiet and say, look, I've noticed you've made this mistake, but if you do X, Y, and Z, you can put it right. Remember that verse from Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice it says, as far as it depends on you. In that scenario, the person concerned could still treat you badly even after you'd uh, rescued them from that very difficult situation. But you would have done everything that you could to build that bridge. See, reconciliation requires the, the cooperation of both parties, but someone has to make that first move. And that's what David did. Instead of killing Saul, he took his spear and his water jug, and in the morning... Uh, David stood on the hill, a uh, distance away so that they couldn't get him, and he shouted, where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? And again, David appeals to Saul. He said, why have I been treated unjustly? What have I done? I'm not opposing you. I remain loyal to you. And here's the evidence, the spear and the water jug that were by Saul's head. It's obvious that David was in a position, again, to kill Saul. And he didn't. And Saul's response is really quite tragic. Verse 21. He says, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Come back, David, my son. Think of that young shepherd boy who was taken into the king's service all those years before. Probably overawed by the situation, overawed by the the king, deep respect for the king, tremendous loyalty. Saul could have been like a father to David, and maybe he was for a time, but he allowed himself to be consumed by jealousy. David responds, here is the king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The the king's spear was symbolic of his kingship. And you may have noticed from last week as well, 
uh, that Saul was never very far from his spear. It was quite pathetic the way he clung on to this symbol of power, even though uh, God had rejected him as king. By handing the spear back, David is showing that he refuses to seize the throne by force or by guile. But he can't go down to Saul because Saul has expressed remorse in the past only to return to his old homicidal ways. Uh, Sometimes reconciliation can't be as we would want it to be. Now, we don't know if Saul truly repented of the way that he treated David. Uh, I hope he did. And he may well well have done because his last words to David were these. He said, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. And that is the last time that they saw each other. So over the course of this series, I've been pointing out that David points forwards to Jesus. Sometimes it's called a type, a type of Jesus. He points us ahead to what's to come. Let's see how now. So David came from Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David started life as a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. David was anointed king as a boy, but he wasn't enthroned until he was 30 years old. Jesus was born a king, and he understood his identity, but he wasn't enthroned until he passed through death at the age of about 33. So they both had this long wait to be enthroned as king. David had to contend with Goliath and Saul before he could be enthroned. Jesus, of course, had to contend and face uh, human enemies, the, the Pharisees, Herod, Pilate. But he also faced the enemies of sin and death and all the forces of evil before he could be enthroned. So for both David and Saul, they had this opposition to their kingship. David was tempted to take matters into his own hands. That's what his men were urging him to do. Kill Saul, seize the crown, it's there for the taking. Well, Jesus faced that same temptation in the wilderness. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. In other words, you don't need to do things God's way. It's all there for the taking. There's a much easier way to get all of this. David resisted man's way of coming into his kingdom, and so did Jesus. When David had the opportunity to take revenge, he didn't. Instead, he went for reconciliation. Jesus could have taken revenge at any point. He could have used force at any point. You remember when the mob came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter struck out with his sword. Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? The same power that was available to Jesus then was available to Jesus when he hung in agony on the cross. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus didn't want revenge. He wanted reconciliation. And not just for those who had literally just nailed him to the cross, but for all of humanity. He patiently waited to come into his kingdom. 
He did things in God's time and according to God's plan. He had the power to destroy his human enemies, and he didn't. Sounds a lot like David, doesn't it? Instead, he went for reconciliation by destroying the powers of sin and death. Through pain and suffering, he made a way for each one of us to be forever reconciled to God. David was a mere foreshadowing of the true and rightful king, the ultimate king, who we know to be Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know only too well that your ways are not our ways. There's often a, a, a almost instinctive reaction in us to want to get even, to get people back, to, to, to do things the, the easy way. We recognize that um, David didn't do that, but ultimately Jesus didn't do that. Jesus could have taken the world by force. He didn't. He could have got revenge on his enemies, those that nailed him to the cross. He could have prevented it. He didn't. Because reconciliation is so close to your heart, so dear to you, that you would want each one of us to to know you and be with you forever. We pray that uh, we'll learn from this today in our own dealings with other people that we will always choose reconciliation over revenge. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.